when I was eight years old, we moved to Huntington and went to a church until um, I was a senior in high school. When I was a senior in high school is when my daddy started his church, uh, the church he pastors in the west end of Huntington. And so from the age of about eight till uh, 17, I was in uh, the 10th Avenue Church of God in, in Huntington. They had their 100th anniversary uh, this weekend, and so they asked me to speak Friday and Saturday night. The state bishop or state overseer for the Church of God is there this morning uh, speaking, but it was, it was just a, a, a good time, a great time, a lot of memories and things uh, that just walking in that church, being there, uh, doing things. Charles Vance uh, came on Friday, Charles and Kelly, and we both, uh, you know, were young boys uh, there in that church and just a lot of things that was going on and the impact it had on my life and, and uh, um, you know, many of the folks that's there, they had a lot of things that was there, pictures of my uh, grandparents who were a part of that church, pictures of uh, my parents, our family there, but just a lot of things that's happened and the many people that it's impacted through the years out of that church. Uh, my dad went to the West End and started a church. Um, Tony Vance, Charles Vance's father, went to the Barbersville area and started a church. And so that, that church uh, sent forth and sent out ministers that have impacted uh, a lot of people through the years. And when you look back over all of the things that's happened and done, it's, it's pretty exciting and, and, and pretty, pretty neat what God is doing. We don't always um, recognize and realize the impact that we have. And uh, I'm saying all that because if, when Tony Vance passed away, I told the story um, that I had never heard, but how the Vance family got started to church and how they got involved in church. And uh, they lived in a community um, out up Route 10 towards um, where Dewey grew up, just before you go over the hill to where, what's that called? Where did, where, what's the hill? Where, if you go out Route 10, you go over the hill where you were when you were young. What? Oh, you're too old too. Well, both of us are too old to remember where we're from. <laughs> anyway, a lady in the neighborhood at a little church down the road from where the Vances lived invited Mike Vance to Bible school, who was the oldest of the Vance children, to Bible school, and he went every night. When he would come home, and they, they would have dinner together as a family, Mike began to ask the question, uh, can I pray? And wanted to start praying over the meal. It was something he had learned at Vacation Bible School. I can't remember the full story, but there were things that he learned that should be a part of their life. And so he did that, and his dad and mom would let him pray. And then one day, Charles, when they got ready to start the meal, said, Dad, why don't you pray? And Tony Vance said, I didn't know how to pray. I had never prayed. I didn't know what to do. And so we, my wife, looked at me and said, you know, I guess we're going to have to learn how to pray. Maybe we ought to start going to church. Well, Sister Vance had a connection with the Church of God, and they found out her family said, here's where you need to go, and they started going to that church, and they went and was a part of that church, and then, as I said, came out and became a part of that. Charles now has a um, 
television show on the church channel. I'm just saying it's been on. He's been to Haiti internationally, been around the world preaching. And it, it was all impacted and started because some lady that we don't know invited a little boy to vacation Bible school. And he went home and touched his family. And their family was one to Christ. And it's amazing what happened because somebody loved on and was good to and wanted to be nice to a little kid that lived in the community. So I think sometimes we take for granted what happens in people's lives. Um, you know, one of the Sunday school teachers that I had for years as a little boy um, gave me a Bible, one of the other girls that grew up in that church, same age as I, she had her Bible out there, and I said, you know, I have an Opal Davis, that was her name, Opal Davis, I said, I have an Opal Davis Bible too, and, and uh, she, she and I got to talking about that and, and, and remembering all of the great things that Opal Davis imparted to us as kids that impacted and affected our lives, and today, you know, it just, it's just something that I want to encourage you to say to you, you, you really never know who's watching you, who's observing you, who's reading your epistle of your life in Christ. You realize there's books in the Bible called Timothy, Titus, John, Y'all understand that? It's about people's lives and what they experienced, what they saw, what they did in their relationship with Christ. And so today, I just want to encourage you to understand you are important with who you impact in your life. Is that okay? You understand that? It's just really important. And... Uh, Singing the song just brought things back to my mind. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. He's a part of my life. And this just, it just, it's just such a, a powerful thing. But anyway, um, I, I just, I just want to encourage you. We impact more lives than we realize. Do you realize you do? You're awful quiet. Well, <laughs> Well, open your Bibles to Colossians 1 with me, if you would. I started here a couple of weeks ago. I can't get out of this, and so I'm going to talk more about it. Colossians chapter 1. I want to read two passages here. I'm going to read from the New King James, and then I want to read a portion of this from the Message Bible. But it says here in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now, everybody say now, he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. 
If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Then down in verse 26 of the very same chapter, 1 verse 26, it says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Now, I know some of you may get tired of me saying this, but I, I think it's important that you hear it. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you have invited Christ to come and live inside of you, and you are born again, you are righteous, you are holy, you are a saint of God, a child of God, hopefully to mature into a son of God because Jesus has come into your life. And you're not a sinner. I was a sinner. I am not a sinner. I get upset and I don't mean it in a wrong way, but it's a, it's a wrong teaching for me to say I'm just a sinner saved by grace to make an excuse for my fleshly carnal behavior. My flesh is a problem, and I understand that. Your flesh is a problem, but I'm not who you see in the flesh. I am a child of God. My spirit, your spirit, if you've accepted Christ, has been born again. I've taught you this, and we've said all of the Old Testament saints were saved by faith, but they weren't born again. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I've got to go away so that when I go away, the Holy Spirit will come and he will take up his residence, his abode, his dwelling, his living place will be on the inside of every believer. We accept Christ and he comes to take up residence inside of us. And because Jesus has moved into your neighborhood, you're a saint. You're righteous. You're a part of the family of God. Do you understand that? You act really excited about it. And you're a saint. Now watch. So he says, this mystery was hidden from generations, but now it has been revealed to his... Everybody say saints. It's not been revealed to his sinners because he don't have sinners. He has saints. Watch. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, watch this, here's what it is, the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Now, I want to read that same passage to you from the Message Bible, and I want you to follow along with me right here. 
This mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time. But now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out. Regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing, the mystery in a nutshell is this. Here it is in a nutshell. Christ is in you, so therefore you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That is the substance of our message. We preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. To, the, to be mature is to be basic Christ. No more, no less. That's what I'm working so hard day after day, year after year, doing my best with energy God so generously gives me. So I want to stand this morning and declare to you that's what I'm working for is to mature saints so the saints become the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ lives in you. He has moved into your life, moved in to take his residence in you. Now, a couple of weeks I talked about this passage, the first part of this, verses 21 through 23, and I talked about saving grace, about empowering grace. We talked about the fact that he has saved us from sin. He has saved us from something that we were. But he has also given to us an empowering grace so that we can understand he saved us for a, a purpose. Listen to me, guys. Jesus didn't come to the earth to live and to die and leave so that his spirit could come and dwell here, and that men could be filled with His Spirit. He came so that when His Spirit, His life, could come and live inside of you, you could have what Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And so when we understand that we no saving grace, and grace saved me from sin. I've been saved from my past. My past is behind me. All my sins are forgiven. Jesus took my sins with him to the cross. He died as me, not just for me. He died as me. My sins are paid. But he also came to take up his residence on the inside of me and you to empower us to live a life and have a life that he's glorified in. And so many times, we keep living our lives for ourselves. The only relationship we want with Him sometimes is, I just want enough of you in my life, Jesus, so that I go to heaven. I don't really want to surrender and let you have total control of my life. I just want enough 
saving grace. And sometimes we just get focused on the saving grace and what he's done in our lives and we don't share our life with him. Everybody with me? And what we've never really discovered is life in Christ is a party. It's a whole lot better than just life with you. I've met people that, man, when he saved you, are you a better person now than you was before he came to live in you? How many of you were better before he came to live in you than you are now? Let me see your hands. Those of you that are better before he come to live in you than you are now. Is your life better with Christ a part of it? Now, again, I'm not trying to jump on anybody. I'm not trying to get on anybody. But what I'm trying to say is I believe that many of us have never really discovered the joy of what life with Christ is really about. We've had so much stuff said to us and we've, we've, we've focused on so many of the wrong things that we've never really enjoyed what this new life is. We're saved from something, but we are also saved for something. Saving grace forgave our sins and set us free from sin, but empowering grace, by His grace, He empowers me by His grace to do His will here on the earth. That's why He taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, do your will through me. It's exciting. Jesus is getting ready to do some stuff on planet earth <clears throat> and he's looking for some people who he can use to do it through he's looking for some people who realize that you know this life that I have is okay and I'm going to heaven and everything's okay with that but you know what I, I got I got some stuff he's saying I got some stuff I want done and you know if you would just allow me to use you and Get together with some others, and all of you get together, and all of you could manifest me and do some things. There's some mighty powerful things we could do on planet Earth. But we got to start thinking like this. See, he talked about in that passage, we think like we used to think. We think with the old mind sometimes. We've never renewed our mind to understand who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, and we live a life. You know, uh, uh, with that old man manifesting itself. Now, I talked last two weeks ago about the difference in being children and being sons. When you're born again, the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you. And you are a babe in Christ. You become a newborn. You are born again. All of the Old Testament saints who by faith were saved, all of those that Jesus went and preached to in the heart of the earth after his, uh, when he was crucified and he went in who believed on him, all of those people were saved by faith, but they did not experience what you and I have had the privilege of experience of being a new creation. Literally what happens when we accept Christ the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, comes to take up His place of residence, His abode on the inside of us. And the Bible declares that we are a brand new creation. You understand that? 
We are a creation, a species of being that had never, ever existed. I'm not trying to be as good as Adam was before the fall because Adam did not have the same spirit that you and I have living on the inside of him. He was not born again. He was man as God intended man to be in his original condition. But even if Adam hadn't fallen, and I I know some of you won't get this and that's okay because I don't have the time now to explain it but even if he hadn't fallen there wasn't the fall you remember when I used to do the thing a b the fall was c d Jesus came restored it now we're coming all the way to z trying to reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of life life's a journey and in this journey he wants to take many sons to glory. He wants us to grow up, to be matured, to be perfected. He, wants, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to mature saints for the work of ministry till they become the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Listen to me. Children are liabilities. They cost you. They demand your time. They demand things from you. Sons are assets. They are assets. I know some of you are sitting thinking, mine ain't. Well, they are. They may not be as mature as you would like for them to be, but they are still an asset. A child has to grow up. You've heard me say this before. When when we have a new child in the nursery, it's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. It's a powerful thing. But if that child is 14 years old and still in the nursery, something's wrong. Do you hear me? Something's not the way it should be. Christians who have been serving God for 14 years shouldn't still be baby Christians. Man, did y'all see how silent? Just I could feel the silence get there. Christians who've been serving the Lord 20 years shouldn't be infants, shouldn't act like infants, shouldn't carry themselves as infants. That's just, it's just the way it should be. You see, a child may know what he's saved from, but you've got to come to a place where you become a son and you know what you're saved for. I remember the day that my dad looked at me and I said, Dad, I would like to have... And started telling him what I wanted. And he said, well, get a job and get it. You mean I can't just keep asking you for stuff and you're going to keep giving it to me? He says, well, son, if I don't teach you that you can be anything you want to be, have anything you want to have, but you've got to come to a place where you get it. If you keep depending on me to do everything for you, there's going to come to a place where I'm not fulfilling my responsibility to help you to grow up and mature and become a producer, not a consumer. Do you all understand that why a lot of stuff is going on in the body of Christ is because most Christians are consumers, not producers? Y'all realize a child's a consumer. Gimme, gimme, gimme. They're not a thing wrong with them being a consumer. 
There's not a thing wrong with you when you first are saved and you begin to serve God with you needing God for everything. But there should come a time in our walk with God where we begin to grow and mature and we become productive for Him. Is everybody with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not saying that it's wrong. I mean, I, kids are great, man. I love us having kids. And as Lou said, man, they were teaching us this morning what we ought to do because kids love to give. Some of you wish they wouldn't pass it. If you just leave it up front, I don't have to go down there, but you put that thing right under my nose. It's about when do we begin to mature and produce. In Romans... The 8th chapter, Romans chapter 8. Now listen, a child knows what he's saved from. A son is learning and beginning to know what he's saved for. In Romans the 8th chapter and the 11th verse, the New King James Version says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now again, he's talking here to born-again believers who have accepted the power and the Spirit of Jesus Christ to come on the inside of them and live inside of them. We are a brand new creation, a species of beings. If Christ has moved into your life and He now lives inside of you, what this verse is saying is He'll do the same thing in you that He did in Jesus. Whatever He did in Jesus. That's why Jesus could look at us and say, Greater things than these shall you do because I go to the Father. Jesus was saying, I'm one man, I can only do one thing. I do everything the Father tells me to do. But when I go back and His Spirit comes, every one of you are going to be filled with the same Spirit that raised me from the dead. The same Spirit that moved in me to bring life into my body will now live inside of you and you're going to have a whole brand new life. The problem is we've never been taught about what we're supposed to do with this brand new life. I know that Christ is in me, but I struggle with working Him through me and out of me because me keeps getting in the way of Him. You understand that? I keep getting in His way. He wants to do something, and I said, now wait a minute, Jesus, do you know if I go over there and I pray for them and they don't get healed, well, I'm going to heal them. Yeah, but I know, but what if they don't? Well, I'm going to heal them. Will you just go pray? What if they don't? People will talk about me. They don't really see you in me. So they're not going to talk about you. They're going to talk about me. Y'all don't have those conversations with him? He says, I want you to go witness to somebody. Just tell them I love them. They may misunderstand me if I tell them I love them. They may think that I'm saying I love them and I wouldn't want them to get the wrong impression. You understand what I'm talking about? See, we've got to begin to realize that Jesus lives where? Look at somebody and tell them where Jesus lives. Now, the reason you are a part of him 
is because he has chosen to be a part of you and he now comes to live inside of you. So when God, through the power of the Spirit, lives and breathes in your body and you begin to understand that he's alive on the inside of me, he has delivered me from the dead life that I was. You know, he talks about that throughout scriptures. And you, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you are a new creation. You are somebody brand new. He talks about throughout the scripture, and you're alive to God. Now watch what happens here in, in Romans 8, down at verse 14. Watch this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... These are the sons of God. Let me, let me help you a little bit here. Y'all know the difference between a child and a son? Huh? You tell a child, brush your teeth. I don't want to brush my teeth. Tell a child, go to bed. I don't want to go to bed. My daddy, 91 years of age, was talking to me the other day, and he goes, Paul Haskell... I won't tell you all what he said about me. He was talking about my brother. Paul Haskell hated to go to bed. He'd say, I go to bed. He'd, say, he'd beg me to stay up. As soon as he'd go to bed, he'd say, Daddy, I'm thirsty. He said, I'd wait and tell him, just, you know, so I'll be right there. He said, I just kept hoping he'd go to sleep. He said, but he always wanted to, you know, Plus, now, you know, he talked about me. I would argue with him. Tell me to do things. I didn't want to do it. How many of y'all know how kids can be? How many of you know how kids have a mind of their own? Don't you understand God deals with you as a person, as a child who has a mind of his own, but you come to a place. I mean, now, I want to do anything my daddy needs me to do. When I'm there to serve my daddy and I'm, I'm, I'm with him, there's nothing he could ask me to do that I wouldn't do. I've done things I didn't really think I could, but I have in, in, in wanting to take care because I'm a son. It's, it's, a, it's a whole different mindset. Now, watch. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Adoption. This last Wednesday night in our Galatians class was one of the funnest classes I've ever been a part of. It was one of the most joyful classes. I really wish that I had video. I've told different people this. I really wish that we had that class videotaped because I would like to, to play that videotape it was a it was a phenomenal sermon it was a it was a, a great sermon almost as good as you did last Sunday Sam okay just almost but in this class this week we talked about adoption and one of the writers of the book that Lou and I've been following after studying and in, in, in helping to teach and understand and explain to us the book of, of Galatians told a whole different thing about adoption that we Americans don't really understand or no. When it says that, that in, in this verse, when it says that we have the spirit of adoption where we cry, Abba, Father, that we, we become, uh, uh, you know, part of the family of God, and the spirit of God comes inside of us. Listen to what he says here. He says, 
if we are the sons of God, then why did Paul speak of our adoption as sons? When Paul used the term adoption in his day, it had a totally different meaning in the New Testament Greeks than it does to us Americans today. We think of adoption as taking a child from outside the family and making him a son by legal means. Such a child is not a true blood offspring. Throughout the New Testament, the word adoption referred to the action, listen to this, referred to the action of parents who adopted their own children into the family. It didn't refer to somebody from outside the family. It was an operation that took place inside the family. The Greek word translation, translated adoption, in the King James Version is huothesia. It is a compound word made up of two elements and literally means son placing. It means son placing in the sense of adult son placing. Let me just remind you of something that happened to Jesus at the age of 30 when he was baptized. The father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Some theologians say that that's the connotation of what this was about. Watch. Listen carefully. It was used to refer to the ceremony in which a minor son was fully initiated, full family status, by being vested with the rights and privileges of an adult. To the Greek, the word adoption didn't convey the image of taking a child outside of the family and bringing him into it by legal process. It symbolized maturity, the imparting of the full rights of sonship upon a minor child who was already a member of the family. In the time of Paul, a boy born into a Greek family was considered a ward of his appointed pedagogue, which is he was a, somebody who was to take care of him, who exercised authority over him. The pedagogue was charged with the responsibility of teaching and training the boy until the time he was ready to accept full responsibility for himself, which was usually about the age of 14. Until that time, the child, though he was heir to his father's name and estate, was totally subject to the pedagogue or the teacher. Though a son, for all practical purposes, he was no more and had no more rights than a household slave. Now that's what Galatians 4 says, that a child, as long as he's a child, is a slave. I don't know if you all remember this, but over 25 years ago, I wanted to write a book called Sons or Servants. Anybody remember? Sons or Servants. Why? Because I began to understand certain things about what happens when we serve God and you're a child and you depend on God for everything and you trust God for everything and He supplies you everything. He takes care of changing your diapers. He takes care of feeding you. He takes care of nourishing you. He takes care of doing all those things. But as you begin to grow and mature, you begin to teach a child how to feed himself. How many of you know children learning to feed themselves makes messes? 
That's why when you let somebody who is new in the Lord get up and preach and try to feed you, they make messes. But we shouldn't judge them and kick them out of the family. We should say, isn't that funny? Did you hear what they... You know, I taught some pretty stupid stuff when I was young. Problem is, I still do sometimes. But it's more mature than it was at one time because I learned how to grow and how to mature. Have you ever watched kids dress themselves? Huh? Can't tie their shoe. Put their foot on one of the shoes on the wrong feet. Y'all ever seen kids? Y'all ain't ever seen kids do that, have them on the wrong foot. Well, it's a part of the place where they are. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, everybody okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Everybody understand the difference in adoption in Bible days than today? A son. God's getting ready to adopt some of you. And being a child is behind you. Some of you are going to begin to live and understand a song that you sang since you was a child that says, and he walks with me and he talks with me. He's alive inside of me. He's wanting to have a relationship with you. He's wanting to have a conversation with you. Sometimes it's just important. My dad looked over at me yesterday and he said, son, I, I wish I, I could go with you and do something. And you on a Saturday here could, 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 there was a time we could go play golf. We could go do something. I said, dad, just sitting here for a little while in your presence is worth everything to me. I won't always have you here. So it's an important thing. Do you realize that spending time in the presence of God is an important thing? Just spending time in his presence. Here in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 15, it says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. What he's saying is you knew Christ in the flesh, but what you need to know him now is in the spirit because his spirit is what's on the inside of you. That's what he's talking about here. We know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new now. Now that Christ lives in you, now that Christ is a part of your life, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you realize that Christ wants to use you and I to reconcile this world that is lost back to him? We can call it witnessing, we can call it soul winning, we can call whatever we want to, put whatever tag it is, but it's nothing more than just looking at people and saying, you know what, Jesus loves you, and he wants to come and live inside you. 
He wants to be a part of your life. That's the message of the gospel. The good news is Jesus wants to have fellowship with everybody on the planet. We've made Christianity rules, regulations, stipulations, going to church, reading your Bible, praying, and doing all this stuff when it's really about having a relationship with a risen Savior. And it's time that the body of Christ mature to what we've been called to do. Let me finish reading this. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 says, That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of... Oh, I love it when the Lord gives me nuggets. Watch this. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and he has committed to us the word of Oh, you mean he hasn't committed to us the word of imputing their trespasses to them? Because the church is real good at looking at somebody and saying, if you do that, you're going to split hell wide open. If you continue in that, if you act like that, and we're real good at imputing people's errors and trespasses to them. I'm preaching good this morning. We're really a pro at looking at what keeps people from being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're real good at looking at somebody's life and, and, and seeing what's wrong. Do y'all, do y'all know why I have come to a place that I don't really care for mirrors? Huh? I mean, when I look in a mirror today, I see flaws. I was standing yesterday morning. We had a prayer service yesterday morning. And while, while we were there, there was a young guy there leading worship, and he was up praising God and just worshiping God, you know. And he, he, he just was, was, you know, newly wed. His wife had been married a few months. Um, his wife is um, Phil Dunn, pastors the Assembly of God uh, in, in Charleston. Uh, Phil had been blind for 14 years, and... Uh, injured his eye and the doctor decided to you know go in and he had major cataracts the doctor said well you're blind what's the point in taking the cataracts off you understand what I'm saying and so anyway the, he'd injured his eye and they went in to do surgery and the doctor while he was in there just took the cataract and everything off of his eye and had his eye patched up and, and he comes through the house been praying for it you know Phil came and prayed for Hack when he was in the hospital blind he come in there and still prayed for Hack when Hack was in the hospital my brother and so anyway he's in there and he Decided that he was going to take after the surgery, take his patch off. He took his patch off and he walked into the kitchen and, and his, his wife was standing there. and She said, what are you doing? He said, I took my patch off. She said, well, are you okay? He said, you're beautiful. I can see you. Yeah. Healed. 
could see. Doctor said, well, I'm going to take the cataract off the other eye. He can see out of both eyes now. God healed him. He couldn't see when he got the cataract. Do you understand? So he couldn't see before that. He'd been blind. God healed him. His little, his little daughter, who's pregnant now, is pregnant. I look at this guy, and, and here he is, and he's so young. And, you know, and I realize, as, as, you know, because I'm talking about when I was a child at that church, and the pastor gets up and says, you know, the good thing about when Stu was in this church is before I was born. You know, they kept talking about, I was the old man there. You understand? They kept talking about all this stuff. And here these young people are. And he says, you know, everything you're talking about that happened here is before we were born. And I looked at this guy and I thought, man, I remember the day when I thought I looked as good as this guy looked. A little while later, I was sitting there praying and got up and I went in the bathroom. And I looked in the mirror when I got in the bathroom downstairs and I thought... You better go back to living by faith and looking at somebody else. <laughs> because the mirror, you see the flaws. You see the faults. How, how many of you understand what I'm saying? You begin to see the wrinkles in the things. And all I'm trying to get you to see is if you would begin to see Jesus inside of you and understand he's given you the ministry to reconcile the world back to him. Quit looking at yourself with your flaws and start trying to see Christ inside you. Help me. How many of you know we still live in a body of flesh? Hmm? We live in a body of flesh. Well, let me just ask you this question. Are you a new man in Christ or are you an old man? Does Christ live in you? Does he want to have a life with you? So we've been, we've been so focused on heaven and life after this that we've, we, we've failed to understand the God of the universe, the third person of the Godhead, the third person of the Trinity has decided that he wants to have a life with you. And he wants to live inside of you. You are not the old person that you used to be. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Help me, Lord. Could it be that most of our preaching throughout the years in the last century has been about trying to straighten up and modify an old carnal man and make an old man look better, act better, and do better instead of preaching to the new man that's on the inside of you. I have chosen that in my life I'm not going to call you an old man. I am not going to call you a sinner. I am not going to talk about your flesh that may not be saved. I'm going to focus on the fact that Jesus Christ by His Spirit is alive on the inside of you. And if we feed that new man, if we encourage that new man, if we strengthen that new man, if we'll feed the Word to that new man, that new man will begin to grow and mature and he won't be a babe any longer he'll become a son of God he'll become a joint heir with Jesus Christ he'll begin to become the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ and listen to me 
I'm asking you to help me do this. Quit being critical. We live in the most critical society I've ever seen. I don't even want to talk to people about what's going on in our world right now because it's so hateful and bitter. And li- listen to me. Let me. You listen to me. You hear me say this. Christ loves everybody on the planet, whether they agree with your politics or theology or anything else. He loves them and he wants to love them through you. Quit your hatefulness. The devil wants us to become hateful. We've got to stop it. Why? We've got to let the Christ that's on the inside of us. I'll go home and wish I hadn't said that, but I'm just telling you. It's terrible what's going on. That's not the way the church should be. We are an expression. We have the ministry of reconciling the world back to God. God loves every human being in every culture all the way around the world in every nation on the planet of the earth. He wants every knee, every tongue to know Him. He wants everybody on the planet to know His love. we got to stop what we're doing and how we're living. Help me, Lord. Now listen to me. What I'm trying to do is to stop us from trying to constrain an old man and help us to grow and mature the new creation beings that we are. We're trying to call forth a new creation man. We've got to begin to mature and develop a new creation. We were born again. Well, where did we get born again? We got born again by the Spirit of God and the power of God coming alive on the inside of us. We are not trying to overhaul an old man. You became a new creation in Christ. You became a brand new species of being that has never existed. By the way, every time I look at my watch now, you know, April says that I look at my watch. Rob, you look at your watch. Sam, you looked at your watch last week. Well, you preach. She tells us every she's, she's got a spirit of letting us know what we do wrong. I'm joking her, okay? But it's true. Hear my heart. Do you all realize that I've taught this before. But if Christ come to live on the inside of you, that you have new genes, new genetics, do you realize they probably could take your DNA and see if God lives on the inside of you or not if they knew how to find God's DNA? You realize that? Wouldn't it be nice if we could find out you're a true Christian by doing a DNA test? (laughs) Is Christ alive in you or not? Well, it depends on what happens. Let me ask you a question. Could it be? Now, I'm not teaching this as doctrine. I'm just asking a question like they do on TV to make you think. Could it be 
that when you got saved, the same seed that God placed in Mary that caused Jesus to be born, could it be that spiritually he placed the same seed in you at the new birth where Christ could be born in you and start to grow and mature and develop? What if he did? I'm not talking about a human seed. I'm talking about a spiritual seed where Christ is in you. What if we quit trying to beat up the old man and started trying to mature and develop the new man? What if we started calling forth the life of God that is resident on the inside of us? This new creation. For by grace we have been saved from sin, but for by grace we have been saved to manifest the ministry of reconciliation and become everything that God has called us to do. You know, we don't just preach grace. We preach grace and truth. The truth is, listen to me, here's the truth. The truth is, whether you believe it or not, when Jesus came and took up residence on the inside of you, God became alive on the inside of you. You may not recognize his presence. You may not acknowledge his presence. You may not realize he's there the way you might should have. But he is alive in you. That's the truth. The truth is you're not the same person you were when you were a sinner. You are now a saint. You are a child of God. Grace is not just unmerited favor. Grace is an enablement. It's an enablement. Listen to me. Enable means, enable means to provide with the means. God in you has the means to transform you into the very image of God. Enable means to make possible. God is able to make. Let me ask you a question. If God in you tells you to do something, what could he tell you to do that you and him together couldn't do? Tell me. Tell me what God, if God in you tells you to go do something, tell me what him in you couldn't do. If all of us begin to believe that Christ is alive in us and we listen to him, he might, and I believe he's been telling us things. I'm just saying we're at a season where I think it's going to be magnified. I believe he's going to really start doing some things in this season that we've not seen him do because we're, going to, we're coming to an age of the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's time for the sons of God. All of creation is waiting for the manifestation of what? The sons of God waiting for Christ to grow up in the body. That's what it's waiting on. And now it's time. It's time for us to allow the Holy Spirit to enable us to do that. Listen to me. Enable means to cause to operate. Enable means to give legal power, capacity, and sanction. Listen to me, guys, when I say to you, we should have new life in Christ. You are absolutely authorized and empowered and enabled to accomplish everything God has equipped you to do.
Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I'm going to close with this. The Message Bible says that this way. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I think it's time we get a life with Christ. I think it's a better life than we've had. I'm not saying that we haven't been trying. Do you all understand I'm not saying we haven't been trying? I'm just saying I think we're at a place. Do you all ever remember your kids going through growth spurts? Huh? Where you'd buy them a pair of shoes and next week they were too small? Huh? I mean, you know, the problem I'm having now is when I was a kid and I was growing, you know, my pants would go like this. Now my pants are going down further. I'm getting shorter and the belly pushes them down too. But kids go through growth spurts. It's like all of a sudden you recognize, man, Look at them. The body of Christ is about to experience a growth spurt from being children to coming into a place where Christ can do in us what he wants to do. Today I'm asking you to say, will you open up your heart and let Christ be Christ in you? Will you begin to let him come alive and walk with you, talk with you, converse with you can you recognize that he's not just somebody that you meet here on Sunday morning in a church service that he's not somebody that just talks to you when you pick up your Bible and read but he's somebody who goes with you everywhere you go and he's a part of everything you do he sees and knows everything that's going on and just acknowledge that he is with you every minute you'll be surprised how your life would change It amazes me how people can be behaving or acting and the preacher show up. And all of a sudden they'll start apologizing or backtracking. And I don't have any problem looking at him and saying, you know, don't worry about me. He's with you every moment of every day with everything that goes on in your life. And he, he loves you anyway. And he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to walk away from you. People here in this earth will forsake you. They'll leave you. They'll get upset with you. They don't know how to handle you. So sometimes they don't know what to do. So they back away. He knows what to do with you all the time. And he won't leave you. He's always there 